When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. He's gone from being a World Superbike race winner at the end of 2015 to having no ride in 2016. Then he was challenging for the BSB title and it all went horribly wrong. Not once, but twice, culminating in 2017 with a 172 mile an hour crash at Brands Hatch. But finally, it happened in 2018. We saw the whole journey live on Eurosport. Leon Haslam is the 2018 Bennett's British Superbike champion, and he's with us this week on the Full Throttle podcast. Well, it's welcome back to Full Throttle, episode 30 already. Many, many thanks from everyone at Eurosport and from me, Greg Haynes, for all of your support across the season so far, for all of the questions you've been sending in, the retweets and everything else. So many thanks for listening to us on Eurosport, on the website, through Spotify and through iTunes as well. And of course, with the BSB season over, we've got one more World Superbikes to go this weekend with the Qatar night races. And don't forget, they're on Friday and Saturday. Friday and Saturday, not Saturday and Sunday. But without further ado, it's time to get Leon Haslam on the line because it really has been a phenomenal year for the 35-year-old Englishman. It's finally, finally happened. We began to wonder, didn't we, whether it was ever going to happen after the events of Brands Hatch 2017. But he's done it. He is the BSB champion. So, Leon, it's been a week now, hasn't it? How are you feeling? Yeah, good. Um, obviously, it's a, a massive relief, and uh, you know, obviously, to get it finally done and to win a championship is obviously is overwhelming. But uh, it's been kind of strange as well. Um, obviously, after signing for KRT, it's been a, a manic, I would say, month and a half really, just to trying to fit in all the British Championship stuff as well as looking ahead for you know, which is what rel- relatively you know, just a few weeks, and, uh, and we're straight into uh, you know, I would say, 2019 season. So since signing for KRT, have you almost felt like you're a world superbike rider again, but competing in the British Championship? Yeah, obviously I had a job to do in England and my focus was there. But uh, at the same time, when I signed the contract, um, obviously I was already having tests and, and vitamin tests and, and fitness tests, etc. And, you know, little things like having my screws out of my ankle, um, you know, just things that you normally plan in over the winter, Um going from the British Championship to the World Championship, then weeks get reduced a lot. You know, we test pretty much all of November. Um, we get December off, and then we test January, and the first race is in Feb. So out of a whole winter month, we literally only get December off. So 
you know, uh, to get a lot of things like operations planned in and, and getting fitness levels and targets reached, it, it's kind of a, a non-stop winter, really. And haven't KRT got like this really strict, uh, ridiculous fitness regime as well? Like you've got to be a certain number of kilos and not over that and all that kind of thing. It's not necessarily a strict uh, rate, uh, fitness thing. Um, probably more the opposite. Um, it's a it's a, a way of monitoring where you are, how you're sleeping. Um, not necessarily like how fit you are or what weight you need to be. It's just basically trying to make you work at your best. Um, and and they monitor that throughout the season, so they can help with vitamin plans and and obviously advice on if I need to train less, you know, or train more in certain areas that need obviously improvement. And what about uh, BBC Breakfast last Monday? Because that, I bet you didn't get any sleep at all. Did you have to leave in Brands Hats? How was that? Yeah, it was um, a bit of a blur. Um, obviously, <laughs> we did uh, a lot of TV stuff Sunday night, and uh, we had a few hours at the uh, you know the party that the team threw, and yeah. I kind of got put in a cab at two a.m. in the morning and uh, went straight to BBC. So yeah, it was uh, yes, yeah, it's been a hectic uh, few days definitely after that race, but uh, at the same time, you know, uh, all, all enjoyable. So you're live on BBC Breakfast after a few after a few drinks and no sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I said a few people said I come across okay, but yeah, I was uh, I probably wasn't in the best of shapes so, uh, <laughs> at six o'clock on Monday morning. But uh, no, it's an early start. No, it was an honour to be on there, and uh, yeah, it was, it was it was good. It turned out well. The last round of the 2015 World Superbike season was also in Qatar. Leon finished sixth in race one as Aprilia teammate Jordi Torres won for the first time. Race two, though, was Haslam's victory. What was going to happen, though, looking to 2016? All right, well, to start, let's, let's rewind. Let's go right back. If we go back to Qatar 2015, two races there, obviously, still on a Sunday then. You were sixth in race one, and your teammate Jordi Torres won, didn't he, on the other Aprilia? Yeah. And then you won race two. Yeah. And then, of course, we went into a situation when the winner of the last race of the season didn't have a ride for next year. So at that point, when you were winning that race, yeah. did you know you weren't going to be on the grid, or did you still have hope that you might be for the next year? We, we kind of knew that Aprilia was pulling out, um, and we also knew that there wasn't really any competitive options Um you know, in the paddock, uh, there was options at you know places like MV uh, and a few other, uh, I would say, teams that I, I was considering and who I was talking to. Um, but at that stage, I wasn't really looking at the at the UK. And when I started to explore the UK and and, and the route of Kawasaki and and everything else, it it fastly come a better option than um, a ride that I wasn't going to be competitive of uh, in, in in World Superbike. Um, so yeah, it was it. Obviously, wasn't ideal. Um, I just got off two years, real tough two years with 10K. Um, I got uh, on a satellite Aprilia, um, you know, which basically lost nearly 20, 30 horsepower from the year before um, with the rule change. Um, and obviously, we was up against Kawasaki and Ducati, and yeah, we, we won two races that year. We had a lot of podiums. Um, I had a real bad high side midway through the year, which set me back a little bit of the Aprilia year. But all in all, I felt like we, we had pretty, a pretty good year. So uh, to have nothing competitive at the end of that, you know, was um, was, was hard to take. But um, obviously that's where I found, you know, a home with Kawasaki. So uh, from my point of view, uh, no real regrets. Yeah, it's funny how it's all come back round as well, isn't it? So then you went to BSB for 2016. At the time, what was your feeling? Was there... Because obviously we know how competitive and how tight BSB is. Was there a worry in the back of your mind that you might get lost there in the pack and, you know, never get back to the World Championship? 
Yeah, honestly, going back to England, I, I had set my mind up that I wasn't going to go back to the World Championship. I, I wanted to make a home in England and try and win championships. And, you know, from the very first test, I knew that the speed was there and, and the capability was there, but it, it was a big step backwards in, in, in what I would say I was used to, especially from when I used to race in England. I was with full factory teams, you know, like HM Plant Honda and, and GSE, which was a, a World Superbike team. And, you know, coming back to um, Mark Smith, obviously, gave me a fantastic opportunity. Um, but the, the level of where the teams was and the controlled ECU and the no electronics and, and everything else, it was a, a massive culture shock, to be honest with you, you know, especially having um, nine years in the World Championship, you know, riding for full factory teams and, and obviously have, and have everything at your feet sort of thing. Um, so honestly, yeah, it, it did take me a little bit of time. Um, but even in that first year, we actually scored more points than anyone over the whole season. Um, I just crashed twice in the showdown. So, uh, yeah, my first year back, I was actually really happy with it. Um, it was a really good year. Um, you know, we had some ups and downs, but it was like a bit of a learning process. Um, and then obviously then the following season um, with Bournemouth Kawasaki, I kind of had to start again with building a team. We had pretty much every single person in the team was new. We moved ships to um, to Bournemouth. So we brought the JG sponsor along and Kawasaki took me on as an employee directly, which were, which was obviously really good for me, um, which meant I was doing more stuff in Japan. I was doing more stuff directly for Kawasaki. Um, in 2017, we had eight DNS, um, which was unheard of. And, and actually only, I think, one of them was an actual crash out of my own fault. So, yeah. you know, over a whole year, it was a little bit of a disaster with things that was happening and going wrong. Uh, and in the end, it resulted in me losing the championship with you know three technical issues in the last three races. Um, but in a whole, we, we went into the final round with a 30-point lead and won more races than anyone that year. But you know we didn't get a championship again, so it was a you know I would say a big learning curve and a very tough year. Um, we finished second in the Suzuki Eight Hour again. Uh, did a lot of stuff over there, so that was all positive. Um, I did a wild card with a Pachetti bike and got second at Darrington, which no one had ever done on a privateer bike. So I knew I was riding good. I was building a really good relationship with Cowie, um, but we didn't get a championship. So it was, a, yeah. you know, a real, I would say, a, a kick in the teeth to, to really what how the year had been going and how I'd been riding. Um, but then this year, um, stayed with the same team, same guys. The whole structure kind of stepped up, in, in my opinion, to give me a solid sort of package, I would say. Um, and we finished every single race. We won five times more races than anyone else out there and, and, and obviously got a championship. And I didn't think I was actually riding any different or better this year than the past two years, but everything come together and, and, you know, and it all worked out. And so Leon scored more points than anybody over the whole of the BSB main season in 2016. And then the showdown kicked off at Donington Park, where it all started to come undone, with a crash in race two at Redgate Corner. Nevertheless, there was a double at Assen, and Leon was just 17 points behind Shaky Burn going into the triple header at Brands Hatch at the end of the season. But then once again, it all went pear-shaped. If we just look at those finales at Brands Hatch, 2016, first of all, you had a 17-point deficit that year to Shakey, but then it all yep. just started going wrong, didn't it? You had the problem in qualifying when you had to throw yourself off at Sterling's Bend. Then you came off coming out of Druids in the race. Yep. I mean, going into that one that weekend, did you genuinely think, 
there was a chance of winning it. What was your mindset now? Now you have won it. Now you look back. What were you thinking yeah. at the time? In 2016, um, it was tough because I went into the showdown in the lead. Um, I had a lead in the championship and we went to Donington Park and for whatever reason, I wasn't fast enough. I, wasn't, I didn't have a package to, to beat Shaky. Um, I finished second to him in race one um, and he just had a better pace than me. Um, I went into race two and I was, I don't know, I was getting a little bit, um, what's the word? I don't know, anxious. I, I knew I needed to beat him. Even though I was still leading the championship, I, I wanted to beat him. Um, and I pushed too hard and I crashed. So, you know, 100% my fault. I crashed, which then gave Shaky the lead in the championship. Um, I went to Aston, the, the second of the showdown races. Um, and I won both races quite comfortably, uh, felt real confident with the bike there. And, you know, um, we, we closed the gap, I would say, from me having the crash in the showdown. Um, and then we went to Brands, knowing full well that, you know, if Shaky brings his A game, it was going to be hard for me to beat him. But from pretty much FP1 through to qualifying, we had disaster after disaster. We had underbar snap. We had back row starts, um, weather conditions. It was a single line when I'm down in 18th on the grid and had another DNF in one of the wet races, which, again, my fault was probably pushing too hard, wanting it probably a little bit too much. But, you know, it resulted in me finishing in the second in the championship, even though I did score more points over the whole year. It was, you know, I would say I learned a lot on how to handle the showdown format, which obviously that was my very first year. 2017 was the big one though a 32 point lead over shaky bird with just three races to go and 75 points left up for grabs from the three races at brands hatch but it all culminated in that infamous 172 mile an hour crash when he had no front brake on the run down into hawthorne's corner and then of course coming into 17 that's the really infamous one now of course you had a 32 point lead yeah now, again, to, to repeat what I said before, now that you are champion, you've, you've got it. What were you thinking going into that last weekend of last year? Did you think, I've got this, or were you nervous looking back? Honestly, I, I was probably more confident that weekend than I was this weekend with a 61-point uh, <laughs> really? lead. Yeah, I was, wow. I was so confident in where we was. I knew I could easily go and get three top fives if Shaky won all three races. The, the difference was in 17 is I was pretty confident Shaky go out and win all three races so I knew exactly where I needed to be yeah. because I, I was very aware that he could go and do that especially at Brands Hatch with his Ducati um, but then after race one we had to settle for a fourth because we had a, a clutch that broke um, and then race two I still wasn't really worried I just needed to do the same again in two more races um, and we had a front tire that was at over 3.4 bar of front tire pressure and I finished 10th and I still to this day don't know how I even finished that race. Um, so yeah, absolutely massive disaster. Couldn't really do anything about it. Um, went into the last race of the year, still ahead. Um, all I had to do was finish behind him. Um, didn't get a very good grid position because obviously with that much pressure in the front tire, my lap time was terrible. So I think I was on row three or four. Um, I got an absolutely unbelievable start, past shaky, just started to reel the, the front guys in and then had to jump off it at 170 miles an hour. So as a weekend went, it was an absolute disaster. But from my point of view, I couldn't have done anything different. And, um, you know, even down to that last race, I felt that the championship was still mine because I just needed to follow him home sort of thing. 
Yeah, and ironically, that's the, one of the clips they were playing on BBC Breakfast last week, wasn't it? The 172-mile-an-hour crash. And we're yeah. all used to We've all seen it now so many times, haven't we? But though the presenters on the show there, they couldn't quite believe it, could they? I mean, it, it is quite scary and horrible when you look back at that crash. It is, and, you know, obviously a lot of things happened there and then. And honestly, I, I wasn't even bothered about championships or anything at that point. You know, I got off at one of the fastest points of the track and with not a mass amount of runoff. And, and, and honestly, I got away with it. So even though I was I had broken ankles and wrists and whatever else, I, I was kind of, I felt I'd done everything I could. Um, obviously, that whole year for me was, you know, hitting the back of Ellison when his bike blew up. I got away with a real lucky one there. Um, I had a big, big high side in Knock Hill, um, which basically resulted in breaking my neck and cracking my skull. And, you know, we got through some real tough periods with some very serious big crashes and injuries and and not really doing much wrong in, in, a, in any of those instances. So, you know, on a whole, we overcome so much that year and, and, and we won a lot of races that year. So, like I say, at the end of it, I wasn't too worried that, you know, that I'd done much wrong and, and we got the most out of whatever situation was kind of thrown at us. So was there not really a period of depression or anything like that after the last race where you sort of relieved to, well, to be alive in a way after what had happened that year? Yeah, you know, my following season was all set. It was all set with the same guys. Um, you know, all the issues that we had that year, I was confident if I kept the same people with a better structure that it'd all just be easier and better the following year. And, you know, any of those instances and to been there, then we'd have been champion. So from my point of view, it was, you know, I'm happy with everything that we've got and, and I feel confident with the bike and, and what we're doing. So it gave me a massive focus of just refining what we had. And um, from my point of view, it was obviously quite a big head reconstruction of all the ligaments in the ankle. So my focus over winter was just me and getting strong and, you know, I, went, I spent a whole month out in Barcelona training with Sam and Alex Lowe's. And, you know, I, I went all out in, in obviously trying to be the best I could be ready for, you know, for the attacker game. Yeah. And you were talking a bit before about your injuries and your operations. So what's got to be done now before you start testing with the World Superbike Kawasaki team? I'm, I'm going to do the first two tests as I am. Um, I've been training quite hard anyway. So the, the ankle is quite restrictive. Um, I'm having to shift move the gear lever so i can i can actually back shift gears at the minute um and it's kind of something that i've been putting up with all year yeah. um so and I've, i found out from a scan that i had last week um that one of the screws is starting to work its way out so that's why i'm getting probably more pain than i should and extra swelling than i should um because of one of the screws that's kind of working its way out um so basically i'm i'm going to be on a test program through november I'm training hard for most of December and then just before Christmas, I'm going to have both the uh, screws removed. So it gives me the, I'd say the Christmas period off to, uh, you know, to get the, the stitches to heal up and, and obviously to, to be ready for the January training camp again. Across 2018, it was looking more and more likely that Toprak Razgatioglu, the Turkish protege of Keenan Safoglu, may be joining Jonathan Ray in 2019. And then around the Laguna Seca weekend, I distinctly remember rumours starting to circulate about Haslam joining Ray in Kawasaki for 2019. What about 2018 and then the whole deal? When did all this really sort of start? You know, when was the moment you were first contacted and when did you think, wow, actually, this could actually happen next year? 
Honestly, all the way through, I was, I wasn't really holding my breath. In my mind, I was going to be in the UK. Um, I've, I've worked quite hard in respect of getting a very good bunch of people and a structure around me, and, and, and being really happy with Kawasaki. And I was talking to Kawasaki about staying in England and about basically saying I'm happy with everything that we are. And, and just kind of keeping it as it was. That was my main focus. Um, mm. Midway through the year, um, Ando San came to one of the races and there wasn't really an understanding of why he was there. And one of the theories was that he was obviously coming to check me out and, and understand how I worked, uh, maybe as a possibility for, for the World Superbikes. Um, I didn't really think much of it. A lot of it was just hearsay and talk. Um, and then... It eventually evolved, uh, you know, I spoke with Gim, um, uh, you know, and, and and then obviously then Europe got involved and the Japanese was very, very positive with, you know, my contact and, and stuff with them. And I think that's mainly stemmed from a lot of the work that I've done in Japan and the the eight-hour work that we've done over the last three years. Um, it, it, to be honest with you, every year it couldn't have gone any better for me. Um and we, we achieved a really good result. And I think this year when Jonathan joined us, it was just a little bit of bad luck that stopped us from winning the eight hour. So, you know, I think a lot of the push was mainly coming from Japan. Um, and with them probably wanting to change the structure in the team and, and obviously, you know, change things up. They obviously had to look somewhere to obviously replace that. And um, the fact that Japanese was pushing me for that um, and, from my point of view, it was, it was a no-brainer. As soon as there was an actual solid option, um, you know, you can't really ever turn down a full factory Kawasaki that's won the last five world championships, you know. And <laughs> yeah. I've always said that I'd only ever go back if I was going to get on something that I could win. And the fact that that become an option, it was an absolute no-brainer. Northern Ireland's Jonathan Ray joined Kawasaki at the start of 2015 and he's yet to be beaten to the title with the all-conquering green bike. 2015, 16, 17, 18. Four consecutive world titles to equal Carl Fogarty and become statistically the most successful world superbike rider of all time. Now on 70 wins, heading into Qatar this weekend. In fact, if Ray wins both races at La Salle this weekend, he'll become the only rider in history to have won 18 races in a single season, surpassing the 1991 record of the American rider and that year's world champion, Doug Polan. So it must be said, Ray is not exactly going to be an easy man for Leon to beat next year. How do you expect to play it with Jonathan? Because you've obviously been teammates at Suzuki. You've been teammates at Honda. But at the moment, if you walk in that Kawasaki garage, it's very clearly divided down the middle into two teams. Is it going to be like that next year? Or is it more of one unit when you guys work together? Honestly, I don't think it really matters. Um, whenever you go in a team, yes, you want to be number one. Yes, you want to be you know, the guy that everyone's focusing on or, or whatever it may be. But for, you know, I'm old enough now to... That doesn't bother me, you know. Um, I've been number one, I've been number two, and it's irrelevant of the dynamics. You've got, as long as you've got your guys who are there for you, meaning your crew chief, your electronics guy, and, and your mechanics, if you get on with the other crew chief, or if I get on with Jonathan, or whatever it may be, they're just added bonuses, in my opinion. Um, the work's done between you and your guys 
Um, we're all on the same equipment. Um, it's how we adapt and how I adapt myself to, you know, to get the most out of that. And, you know, from what I've learned in a short period of time from Gim, he, he's on that same mentality of, you know, he's there just to try and give me the best what I need, not necessarily what I want, but everything that I, I need to, to do the best job I can. And, and for me, that's why, how I've always worked. And, and in previous years, I would push to bring a crew chief that I know or, or a mechanic that I know or whatever it may be, where my mentality has completely changed with that. I'm stepping into a team that's got five, six, seven, eight years uh, experience of winning they know the bikes they know everything um and it's me that has to kind of learn their way and and, and learn how to adapt my style to to get the most out of the electronics package and and obviously the world super bike bike and jonathan's obviously doing that and look what he's achieving so i've just got to learn to do that as well and you know i can do the same do you think you're just as capable as Jonathan? Obviously, he's been with the team for longer. He knows the bike better and so on in the superbike, world superbike spec. But rider-wise, are you just as capable of doing what he's doing? Yeah, I, I know that for a fact. But I think any rider would, would say that. You know, uh, yeah. if you think that another rider's better than you, then you shouldn't be racing. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, we've all got two arms and two legs. And I've raced with Jonathan now for... 14 years um i've beat him in many championships and many races and he's done the same with me and and honestly out of all the riders we've, we've probably had the most battles together which is you know has been nice that we've been able to remain you know friends and and whatever else through it so the fact that we're on the same bike the fact that you know i know most of the circuits um you know i've been out of it uh, only three years there's no reason in my head that i can't go there and and, and push straight away but at the same time, I'm, you know, kind of going up against Jonathan, which I would say is definitely at his best. You know, four world titles in a row, been with the team for four years. Uh, his record kind of speaks for itself. But that's where I need to get to. You know, it's not. Uh, I don't think it's too far away. Um, but you know, we've got to wait and see. You know, I, I might be riding to my maximum, and we're just not getting close. And you know, I'm, I might be there faster than I think and, and until we get on the bike and until we I make that connection with my new team and, and Marcel and, and all the guys I think uh, you know in my head I want to go there and win straight away and, and definitely that's going to be my mentality um, so I'm just got to wait and see how fast I can sort myself out and, and, and get that speed. So certainly it sounds like the team is just almost giving you a almost an equal number one status there's no instructions as such to help Jonathan win you're just out for yourself out for the team. Yeah obviously I'm out there to win I'm I'm not going to go there to try and finish second to Jonathan. You know, um, Jonathan's the man to be. He's the one dominating, and he's obviously found his, I would say, his his, his point where where he's happy, where he's with his team, with the bike, and everything else. And and that's exactly what I need to go and do as well. I need to find that connection, the the feeling, um, you know, what works for me, um, and how, and also if it's not working for me, how I can change to to make it work. And that's kind of what I've got to figure out in, in these next, um, well, we're going to have eight days of testing before Phillip Island. Needless to say, it's Ray and Kawasaki who remain the favourites for 2019, with his nearest challengers expected to be his teammate Leon and the two Yamaha riders, Michael van der Mark and Alex Lowes. But the big question mark hovers above the Bologna factory, Ducati, with their new V4. Chas Davis has signed for another two seasons, joined for 2019 by MotoGP star Alvaro Bautista. 
And just before we go, Leon, there's obviously a lot of talk at the moment about this new V4 Ducati. Michele Piro did some laps uh, at Brands Hatch, didn't he? Yep. How strong do you think it's really going to be, though? Because some people are saying to me it's going to be a 100% development year. Other people are saying, oh, it's going to roll out at Philip Island to start winning from the off. Do you reckon that's the case? I, I know the cattle don't bring a bike out, um, and it's, it's bad in its first year. Most times, or I think every championship that it's won, it's won in its very first year. Um, the cattle produce a race bike. Uh, other people produce road bikes and convert them. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think a lot of it's going to depend on the rules. Um, I was on track with the V4 a year ago in, in road trim, and it was actually quicker than my BSV bike. So I think it's all going to be down to how it's managed and how fast people like Bautista can adapt. And, and Chaz as well, even though he's been with Ducati a lot of years, the, the characteristics of the four versus the twins are going to be very different for him. So it is going to be, I would say, a more of a learning year than probably what Jonathan or even myself will have. Um, but, you know, it's a full-factor Ducati that, you know, at the minute, it's one of the best bikes in MotoGP as well. So what they're bringing from that is, is not going to be too far away, I don't think. So just to put that into perspective, you said you were doing a track day recently and the road-going V4 Panigale was quicker than your PSB bike. It was a, it was a stock bike in pre-season this year in Jerez. And, uh, yeah. top, it was actually topping a lot of the speed trap times. Um, wow. what, was, what was on it? You know, the BSB bike is a controlled ECU with no electronics where obviously the road bike has the full electronics which allows you to yeah. run more power, etc. So... It, it was a it was a speed perspective that even in stock trim a year ago, it might have even been the 1100, not the thousand back then. And it's obviously the road bike uh, more CC. Yeah. Um, but it it wasn't slow and it looked <laughs> quite fast on track. So I'm pretty confident that it's going to hit the ground running, and which was good. I think it'll be good for the championship. You know, if uh, if Ducati make that step and makes you know four bikes battling at the front, um, you know, I look forward to that. And there's one last question I should just throw in. What's your take on the new rules? Because we've not really heard too much from the riders yet about the new format, but we've got a three-race format, including a sprint race on Sunday morning. What do you reckon? Yeah, you know, more races the better. You know, I'm from old school days of, you know, get as many as you can. And, you know, I love the battles. I love uh, the, the starts and having the different, you know, longer distance versus a sprint race. I think it's going to throw some different dynamics in there. And, you know, I'll definitely, you know, fall into the hands of different riding styles. You know, um, Tom being really fast over one lap will probably prefer the sprint race versus, you know, someone who comes on really strong at the end. Um, you know, depending on how you set your bike up and, and everything else, I think it just puts a whole total different uh, dynamic to, you know, what will work for some and maybe not for, for others. And you'll see a variance on the same track on the same day, which, which I think will be good. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. There's no Qatar wildcard for you this weekend, is there? No, no, uh, no uh, race this weekend. It was something I was going to do. And, uh, you know, honestly, the, the few wildcards that I've done with Pachetti have been absolutely fantastic. So, you know, to get the podium um, in 17 with them at Donington was unbelievable. Um, you know, I got top independent this year. Um, and obviously, uh, doing that out livery in Imola was, uh, you know, really special for me as well. So, yeah. everything they've done over the, the, the three races that we've done together, you know, I want to say a big thanks to Manuel and uh, I'd say also I'm assuming that all that kind of plays for me to get this ride as well. So, yeah, big thanks to them guys. Well, Leon, congratulations again from all of us at Eurosport on an amazing year and good luck with testing and good luck with everything with regards to 2019. Awesome. Thank you very much.
Thank you very much again to Leon Haslam and indeed to his wife, Ollie Haslam, who's been so busy over the last few weeks organising plenty of media commitments for her husband. So many thanks to the whole Haslam family. Congratulations on the Bennett's British Superbike title. And now we focus our attention on the Motul FIM Superbike World Championship for one last time this year. The 25th and 26th races of the season, round 13 of 13. I'll be out there at the Lasalle International Circuit in Qatar with James Whittam in the box and Charlie Hiscott down in the pit lane as our focus turns to the fight for second in the championship between Chas Davis and Michael Vandermark. Don't forget, once again, the races are not on Saturday and Sunday. They are Friday and Saturday live on Eurosport and the Eurosport player. Thanks for joining us then with Leon Haslam in the podcast. I will speak to you from Qatar. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.